Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Bringing Emerging Therapies into Motion for Non-Radiographic Axial Spondyloarthritis. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from AbbVie Incorporated. Hello, my name is Charles Pritchard. I'm a rheumatologist and was a non-paid professor at Drexel and Temple University. What I'd like to talk to you today about is bringing emerging therapies into motion for non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy. I think we should start by discussing the clinical impact and burden of non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathies. These are the criteria for axial spondyloarthropathy in patients who have back pain more than three months at a young age. They will have sacroiliitis on imaging in some of the folks, which includes doing a fat-suppressed MRI image, or they may not have this and just have a positive B27 and two spondyloarthropathy features. And you can see that these are manifestations we see in all spondyloarthropathies. Another interesting part of these features is that these patients tend to have a good response to NSAIDs. So that sometimes makes it that we don't see them as early because they're feeling a little bit better on the NSAID. So let's take a look at the manifestations of non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy versus radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy. And the key thing to notice is they're all about the same. In fact, most of us believe that non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy is simply an early form of what in many patients will turn out to be a radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy. Now, we look at this desire cohort and we look at various aspects of spondyloarthropathy. We look at the BASDI. BASDI is a nice, easy set of questions and gives you an idea of who need to be treated. A BASDI is a functional index. The SF36 is a kind of a general questionnaire, but has a mental component and a physical component. And you can see this graph. If you look at the day's sick leave, you can see that these people are sick enough to miss work. So, you know, this is a burdensome disease. So, in summary, axial spondyloarthropathy, radiographic or non-radiographic, have similar manifestations and they have similar disease burden. Now, let's talk about the current treatment landscape of non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy and the unmet therapeutic needs with our current options. Now, let's talk about treatment options we have available for non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy and unmet therapeutic needs in this patient group. Originally, we treated all these patients with NSAIDs and exercise. Whether they really slow radiographic progression of the disease is unclear. A portion of patients cannot tolerate or comply with the maximum doses of NSAIDs, which are recommended to take on a regular basis. And approximately 20 to 40% of patients with axial spondyloarthropathy don't respond to TNF inhibitors, and some may only achieve a partial response. Because of the burden of the disease, we think it's important that these patients are treated. We start with the NSAIDs on a regular basis at full dose. And those patients who don't get a sufficient response, what we usually start with is a tumor necrosis factor inhibitor. And the only one currently recommended is sertolizumab. However, conditionally recommended are sulfasalazine and methotrexate. TOFA has been shown to work in ankylosing spondylitis, but we do recommend tumor necrosis factors first over tofacitinib, secukinumab, and exakinumab. These are anti-IL-17 medications and have been approved for non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy. So what are the 2019 ACR 
treatment recommendations. Well, in adults with active non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy, despite treatment with NSAIDs who have a contraindication to tumor necrosis factor, do recommend these anti-IL-17 medications, cyclokinumab or ixinkinumab over sulfazalazine or methotrexate, which really only work for peripheral disease. In adults with active non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy and primary non-response to the first TNF used, switching to anti-IL-17 is recommended over another TNF. And there's a strong recommendation against switching to the biosimilar of the first TNF. And we don't use glucocorticoids in these patients. So we have a number of really good choices. We have anti-TNF agents, we have anti-IL-17 agents that work well for this disease. Let's talk about this efficacy data for approved and late-stage emerging agents for the treatment of non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy. The earliest medicine that was approved for non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy was sertolizumab because of a phase three randomized control trial. And the patients were on placebo or their background medications for 12 weeks, either with or without sertolizumab. The ASA S40, it looks for 40% improvement in back pain, how patients feel, physical function, and inflammation. And the number of patients that reached the ASAS 40 at 12 weeks who were given no sertolizumab was 11.4%, whereas those patients who were given sertolizumab was 47.8%, a very significant difference. Clinically relevant and statistically significant differences were observed in primary endpoints in all but one secondary endpoint, uveitis. Cyclokinumab is an anti-IL-17 agent that has been shown to work well in non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy. If we look at the PREVENT trial, we see that 41.5% reached a ASAS40 response compared to 29% of placebo. We can also look at ixekinumab. We see that 40% of non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy patients reached an ASAS40 response compared to 19% of placebo, obviously a very effective medication. Let's talk about upadacitinib, which was recently approved for non-radiographic axiospondyloarthropathy because of the data from the SELECT ACCESS-2 trial. And the primary endpoint was the ASAS-40. And you can see that there was a 45% response rate with the medication versus placebo. So this is a very significant benefit. Bemakizumab is an emerging agent that's not yet approved for a non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy. It's an anti-IL-17A and F. And this also showed benefit based on the BE Mobile 1 trial. And for the first 16 weeks, patients found a very significant difference as well of response in the placebo group versus in the bemakizumab group. So very significant improvements with this drug that we will certainly see in the future. So we have current medications that are helpful for non-radiographic axiospondylarthropathy, and more are in the pipeline. In this next session, let's review the safety profiles of approved and late-stage emerging agents being investigated for the treatment of non-radiographic axiospondylarthropathy. 
Next, I want to review the safety data that we have to date on the emerging treatment options for non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathies. How about for sertolizumab? We look at any treatment adverse event. We see that the numbers are very similar to placebo. Serious treatment emergent adverse events are also very, very similar. Drug-related events are also very similar. Ixikizumab and secukinumab also have very good safety data. And these medicines have safety data also from psoriasis trials and psoriatic arthritis trials, which do not show very significant issues vis-a-vis treatments, adverse side effects versus placebo. Now we're looking at the safety of upadacitinib from the Select Access 2 trial. If we compare the treatment group, UPA group versus placebo, you can see any adverse event, approximately the same numbers. Serious adverse events, discontinuations, COVID-19 adverse events, you can see that these numbers were tiny. Vemekizumab also does not seem to show new safety signals that are of particularly concern. So in conclusion, I feel very comfortable giving these medications to patients. I am not overly concerned about significant side effects. These patients are on NSAIDs as well, and they may be on other medicines which complicate the clinical picture, but there are no significant emergent side effects that I'm watching for. Now let's discuss how these approved and late-stage emerging events may potentially impact the future treatment landscape of non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy. So several agents are being examined in late-stage trials, but which patients are candidates to receive these? Let's discuss where these agents may fit in. We can start by talking about the eligibility criteria for the approved agents, and you're going to see they're approximately the same for each one. Patient eligibility criteria for sertolizumab were older than 18, they had symptoms for more than 12 months, had high BASDIs and back pain scores, and had objective signs of inflammation, either MRI positivity or elevated CRPs. So you can see that the entry criteria for these drugs are very similar because this is the way these patients present. We like to see them on NSAIDs. We like to have them try an anti-TNF first. Just to show what they were for the upadacitinib studies, they were older than 18. They had high BASDIs and total back pain scores. They had inflammation on an MRI or a high CRP, had failed two NSAIDs, or had failed an anti-TNF. Very similar criteria for entrance into the bimikizumab study. Now, this medicine has not yet been approved, so we'll wait for this in the future. But maybe a more important issue is when do we use one and when do we use the other? Well, typically, rheumatologists have used anti-TNF medicines first. So we may typically use sertolizumab as our first choice. But over time, if this doesn't work, we may find that the anti-IL-17s are good, especially if a patient has psoriasis. If a patient has inflammatory bowel disease or uveitis, the anti-TNF may be better. Or a patient may prefer to have an oral agent like UPA to treat their disease. We see that these are really very, very similar to the ankylosing spondylitis patients, if not the same disease. We think that the medications are very similar to both groups. And I think it's wonderful as a clinician that we have these medications to treat these patients and they do well. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.